Most Christians long to see miracles, but they don't want to be put in a position where they actually need one. See, when we're in those positions of difficulty, when we find ourselves with our back against the wall, that's adversity. This is what I want us to remember. It may be hard, but that's where we grow. It was Atlanta pastor Charles Stanley who said it like this. He said, adversity is not simply a tool. It is God's most effective tool for the advancement of our spiritual lives. The circumstances and events that we see as setbacks are really our intense spiritual growth for his people. Always keep this in mind. Miracles occur when humanity runs out of options. And can I just say something to you today? We are quickly running out of options, even as a country. Everything we seem to have trusted in seems to be failing all around us. And now we are being put in a position where we need a miracle in our churches, in our country, even in our own personal lives. See, we will face adversity, but the church and the kingdom of God, hallelujah, I believe is also about to grow exponentially. Though adversity may come, so will growth. See, the Christian life is a journey, not an arrival. The day that you made a decision to become born again, you're not done at that point. What you've done is you've just signed up for the long journey that takes you all the way to heaven. But that journey has some tough terrain. There is loneliness. There is sickness. For some, there is singleness. There is persecution, challenges, tests, and even battles that we're going to go through. And we all have to do hard stuff at some point in our walk with God and face those hard things. I mean, think about it. It could be those hard things of, telling someone about Jesus that we've never done before and that fear comes upon us, saying no to something that maybe you used to say yes to. Maybe it's ending a toxic relationship. It could even be doing a connect group on a night that used to be reserved for your buddies, but now you're saying, no, I'm gonna choose to grow and it's gonna be harder to do it, but I need to do it. It could even be deciding to tithe. Or how about this one? Maybe there's people out there, the hard thing is getting water baptized on May 16th, when we do our digital water baptism at Times Square Church and just simply signing up for it, that may be difficult for some and God may be challenging us. But I love the words of Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer. He said this, if we're going to live as disciples of Jesus, we have to remember that all noble things are difficult. The Christian life is gloriously difficult but the difficulty of it does not make us faint and cave in. Here it comes, but it rouses us up to overcome. Always remember, listen to this. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are actually the same thing. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes the hard thing or the hardest thing and even the right thing are really the same thing. And sometimes the only way God can show us he is in control is by putting us in situations we can't control. So I don't want you to miss out on something amazing because something is difficult. We are ordinary people who know an extraordinary God. 
When I think about doing those hard things, I was reading recently a story about Teddy Roosevelt, whose dream was to become president. And in, in October of 1912 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, while he was on the campaign trail, Teddy Roosevelt was campaigning for the White House when a would-be assassin shot him at close range, point blank, with a 32 caliber pistol. Here's what's crazy. The bullet actually lodged two inches deep into his chest, but that didn't stop the bull moose from making his speech. This is what Roosevelt said. He said, the bullet is in me now, he told the audience, so I cannot make a very long speech. At that moment, talk about a hard thing. Roosevelt spoke for 53 minutes, 53 minutes with a bullet lodged in him, standing in a pool of his own blood. And all I thought about was this, that's hard for just wanting to be president for four years doing this journey. We're not doing this for the president. We're doing this for the king, the king of kings for eternity. John chapter six is a story that I think is gonna help us. It has helped me as I kept thinking about those difficulties, those hard things that God may be pushing us towards. I want you to get this. There are 38 recorded miracles in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And only one of those 38 miracles appears in all four gospels. Here it is. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's recorded in Matthew 14, Mark chapter six, Luke nine. And the one we're gonna look at today is in John chapter six. This is amazing to me because if Jesus did miracles and there are four witnesses that recorded all the different miracles, the 38 of them, this one caught the attention of all four of the gospel writers. Of all 38, it is this one they decided to all speak about. So let's go to John 6. It's the story of the fishes and the loaves. But I want you to understand something about this miracle. It's not just about a miracle for the multitudes. It's also, and most importantly, about a test for the disciples. It really is gonna be a test of God kind of pushing them in one of those hard places and adverse times and saying, this is a test for you. Listen to it. This is John 6, 1 through 6. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Verse 3 says, Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples, and the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes, saw that a large crowd was coming to him. And he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And verse six says, this, he, Jesus was saying to test him. Remember, this wasn't just a miracle for the multitudes. This is also a test for the disciples. It says he was saying this to test him. It's gonna be for Philip and Andrew, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. This wasn't just about feeding people but really about a challenge for these disciples. And John 6.6 6 is that statement that tells us that. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He wanted to see if the disciples actually knew it because all throughout the scriptures, when God asks a question in the Bible, it's not because he doesn't know. He just wants to see if we know the answer to the question. Okay, here it comes now. It's a one-question test that he is about to give to them. Here's the one question test. Here it comes. Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? That's it. That's the only question. It was basically for those who are students, it was fill in the blank. I hated those 
because you didn't have a chance to guess. Either you knew the answer or you didn't. See, if Jesus would have said something like this, multiple choice, where are we to buy bread for all these people? A, Costco, B, Whole Foods, C, A, and B, or D, Son of God, I got this one. It's always the answer in the Gospels. It's always Jesus. It's always Son of God, but not this one. This is fill in the blank, and Philip starts filling in his test paper. Here's Philip's answer that he that he gives on the fill in the blank. He says, "200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive little." Well, Philip got that one wrong. Then it was Andrew's turn to focus on his test. Let me read to you what Andrew says in verses nine through 11. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise all of the fish, as much as they wanted. Here's what's crazy. When Jesus asks Philip, What are we supposed to do with all these people that are hungry? Philip's answer is simply this. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. I wanted just to scream when I was reading this, going, stop there. You got it, Philip. Don't say anything else. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting or that of, of a person that just has to say one more thing that literally can ruin a meeting, ruin a perfectly good family meeting or business meeting, Everything has gone great and they have one more thing to say. That's Philip. Philip goes, we have a lad here with five loaves, two fishes, and if he would have stopped there, Philip's about to be a hero. But then he throws in this, but what are these to so many people? Listen to it. There's a lad here who has five loaves, two fishes. If he would have stopped, he would have gotten it right. But what are these for so many people? Man, I wish Philip would have just stopped at the word fish. See, when he continued to talk, Philip magnified the crowd and at that point started to lessen God. And that's what happens when your problem gets big, God gets little. Because all they saw was a 4,999 shortfall. They had one lunch and 5,000 hungry people. Philip was so close to the answer. I like to even imagine even the tone of the verse, especially with Jesus as he's thinking, Philip didn't get it, Andrew didn't get it. And literally without missing a beat, when Jesus gets to verse 10, he just simply says, make the people sit down. I can hear him almost saying it in his exasperated tone when both of them couldn't get the fill in the blank test answer. Jesus must have thought if you would have stopped at fish, you would have had it, make them sit down. And all of a sudden, I want you to notice something here that I think is so important about this. God will keep giving you the same test as a Christian until you pass it. See, Mark, let me let me just give this to you as a side note. See, Mark 6, 33 through 44 is actually from John 6, 1 through 12. It's the same story. And instead of told by John, it's recorded by Mark. And there's a reason why I want you to see this. The boy with the loaves and the fishes. However, Mark incredibly adds, get this now, another feeding of the multitude story following this one. Pastor Tim, what do you mean? Mark 6, that's, that, that, that represents the, the John 6 story. 
Mark 6 is the feeding of the 5,000, told by Mark. Mark 8 is the feeding of 4,000 that comes right after this. Now, keep in mind, remember this. With these disciples, both Philip and Andrew got it wrong, but God is a teacher. The Son of God is going to teach them, and he'll keep giving them the same test until they pass it. Here it comes. Mark 6, they got the answers wrong with the test questions. Fill in the blank. Then, two chapters later, John doesn't record this, but Mark does. It's the feeding of 4,000 people. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 1. In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they remain with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a, from a great distance. And his disciples answered, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Okay, stop right there. Does this sound familiar? I really want to go, come on, guys. Really? You, you, just, you just saw Jesus do this two chapters ago, and then all of a sudden you can't get, you can't get it right? It's almost like here's the same test. Listen to verse 7. They had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he ordered them to be served as well. I, I love that part. Few small fish, and after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. They picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over, the broken pieces. Now, that's going to be really important. About 4,000 were there, which is different than the other miracle, and he sent them away. They still missed it. They missed it at 5,000, and now they miss it at 4,000. This, the story of how this came to be kind of plays a big part in my life because it, it happened in Detroit. Um, there is a cleanser, there is a cleaner that we used to use all the time. You may have heard of it, it's called 409. Literally, that, that grease-cutting cleaner and, and countertop bacteria-cutting cleanser, um, 409, came from the tenacity of two men, two Detroit scientists. But here's what's crazy, why, why 409? This is what makes this amazing. The reason why it was called 409 is because it actually took them 409 times to get the actual formula right for the best grease cutting, for the best dirt destroying and bacteria eliminating cleanser on the planet. And it took them 409 times. It wasn't the 101st try. It wasn't the 301st try. It was 409 tries. Formula 409. All I thought about with these disciples and I thought to myself, I don't ever want to be known as 409. I don't, maybe one or two. I'll even be four or five. But 409, I'm going, these guys now are up to number two. Philip and Andrew couldn't figure it out, but a little boy did. Just, just give it to Jesus. Just give him a lunch. That little boy inspired me more than even the disciples who have been with Jesus for three years, and you have a boy who's been with them for three minutes. In fact, before coming even today to preach, I prayed a prayer because that boy inspired me. And this is what I prayed. I prayed that these words that I have to even speak today, that Jesus, they're just loaves and fishes. I, I said this, just take it and multiply it and let everyone be filled. This, this is, this is my, my lunch. This is all I have. And Jesus shows us at that moment, even though it's difficult, even though you're put in a test, I'm doing something. 
I'm doing something in you and I'm getting, I'm growing you at this point. I, I wanna, I wanna just pull from this story three things to remember when you're facing a short shortfall in front of you, when you're running out of options, when all of a sudden 4,999 shortfall is in front of you and now the math just doesn't work financially. It doesn't work for you even emotionally and you're going like, I don't even know what to do. I think this story begins to give us some help on this journey. That once we have been born again and we know we're facing even some rough terrain and we have for these last 14 months in every single capacity as a country, as a city, and as an individual, what do we do when we're faced, we're out of options? Because this becomes the perfect time for God. I think we can pull some things here. I just wanna give you three quick things. Number one, this is what I've learned from this. Ask God or simply ask by saying thanks. Pastor Tim, what do you mean by that? There is power in saying thank you. This is what I want you to get. When Jesus prayed, I want you to notice what it's recorded here in John 6. Jesus didn't ask for bread or fish. The Bible says in John 6, 11, he just thanked God. Listen to it. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed them. It doesn't seem like there's anything else there. He just said, thank you. And he likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. Having given thanks, all of a sudden something happens. Gratitude started to, to multiply the bread and the fish. Not a fish and bread prayer, but a grateful prayer. Thankfulness. See, I've heard it said, if a fellow isn't thankful for what he's got, he isn't gonna be likely be thankful for what he's going to get. And Paul tells us to even to pray this way. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Not even if you have 5,000 hungry people or 4,999 chart fall. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I really feel that ingratitude holds the blessing of God back from us. Even as one person begins to remind us that ingratitude really denotes spiritual immaturity. That's why infants do not always appreciate what parents do for them they have short memories. They're not, they're not concerned with what the parent did for them yesterday, but what's being done for them today. The past is meaningless and so is the future. They live for the present. That's where the immaturity begins to start in. Think, think of this for a moment. In Luke chapter 17, it was gratitude that got a leper, that got a leper not only healed, got him, got him healed, but it also gratitude got him heaven. While nine kept walking on after their healing, one turned around, a Samaritan leper, and said, thank you. And Jesus began then to do something internally. He healed externally and internally, and that's exactly what began to take place when he began to say thank you. My mind goes back to something the Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer said with gratitude in his book, Life Together. And he says these words, he says, only he who gives thanks for little things receives the big things. See, think about it. Thank you for fishes and loaves. God goes, you're gonna get more than enough. Bonhoeffer says, we prevent God from giving us the great spiritual gifts he has in store for us because we don't even give him thanks for the daily gifts. Man, I wanna learn just to say thanks. I I wanna learn that God can give by us just saying thanks, not bread and fish prayers, 
but grateful prayers. The second thing I kept thinking about the story, even on this tough terrain that we may be facing, is just tell God the stuff you got and what he has to work with. That's all you have to do. Where do you get that, Pastor Tim? It was Andrew who said in verse 9, when he talked about the fishes and the loaves, and then he adds on this, but what are these? He started to minimize the material that God had to work with. Can, can I remind us today, from the beginning, what beginning, Pastor Tim? Genesis, Genesis beginning, before anything existed. From the beginning, God has never had much to work with. At creation, how about zero? Which, which basically means this, that we just realize God doesn't need much to work a miracle. So here's my challenge to you. Tell God what you got and stop there. He doesn't need a commentary. God, you got two angry people in a marriage. That's it. That's all you got to work with. Let God do his thing. Uh, God, I got a job that doesn't pay much, a lot of bills, big shortfall. I understand that. That's all I got, God. Or how about this one? God, I got a rebellious son that won't listen. We don't have to add anything else in there. Just read. How about this one? Read the lower thirds on a screen every Tuesday night at Times Square Church as, as Pastor Carter, our overseer at Times Square Church, leads not only us as a church, but leads the nations in prayer. Read what comes on the lower thirds of the screen and see all those things that people are basically saying, here's my shortfall, here's my shortfall. I, 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 don't, I don't have a job, I don't have the finances, I, I, don't, I don't have the health, all of it. From marriages to, that need miracles to health that needs miracles, every request that you read on the bottom of those Tuesday night prayer meetings that we have here at Times Square Church literally is saying, I'm out of options. This is my shortfall. And here's what we have to do. Tell Jesus the materials, stop there. I've got five loaves and two fishes, two fish, but don't say, what are these? You know what they are? I, I'll, I'll answer them for you. I'll, I'll give the answer to Andrew. Here it is. It's material for a miracle. That's what that is. It's material for a miracle. Don't tell God their value or whether it's enough. He made the worlds from nothing. God doesn't need our commentary. Or how about this? Last week when you heard Dr. Teresa Conlon speak about Summit, and, and thought, hey, I'd like to go there. But the only thing you thought of is I don't have the resources. Then just, just tell him, God, I'm out of resources. Then let God do what he's supposed to do. The only word that should go after but with, with Andrew is this, God, you got this. Fishes and loaves, but God, you got this. Rebellious son, but God, you got this. God, you take it from here. God, I'm just one lonely guy. You may be saying that has no chance of getting married, um, but how can I meet How can I meet any Christian girl uh, in a church if the church is closed? You don't have to say all that. Just tell God, I'm lonely. Let God take it from there. Just tell him and end with this. God, you got this. Don't give your commentary on the miracles, on the, on the materials. I, I remember visiting a precious woman a few years ago in a hospital. Her name was Deborah on life support. And the only thing we had to work with was life support tubes, a bad report from the doctor, and a tumor on the brain. So that's all I did. I said, God, this is all we got. We got a bad report, we got a tumor, and we got life support. And God did the rest. Heal that woman now she's walking and talking, and the doctor says she's an absolute miracle. A movie was done about one of the great missionaries some years ago at the turn of the 
20th century named Gladys Allward. Her life was, was put in motion pictures. And in 1938, the region that she was ministering in was invaded by Japanese forces. And Allward led over 100 orphans to safety over the mountains despite being wounded herself. She not only led the orphans to safety, but personally cared for them and converted them to Christianity. She never married, spent her own entire life devoted to, to, to spreading the gospel there in China. But during Gladys Alward, uh, Alward's harrowing journey um, through Yang Chen during the communist takeover and the invasion, she faced one morning with no apparent hope of reaching safety. She thought, this is it. I'm going to lose all hundred of these orphans at this point. Listen, I want to read to you what she wrote down in her journal. She's, she talked about a 13-year-old girl that tried to comfort her when she saw no hope. This is what it said. This is what she wrote. Don't forget this little 13-year-old orphan. Don't forget, Miss Gladys, what you told us about Moses in the wilderness. To which Gladys replied, yes, my dear, but, sounds like Andrew, but I'm not Moses. To which that 13-year-old girl responded, yes, you're not Moses, but God is still God. Hallelujah. God is still God. Let me finish with this and tell you why this is so important for us to understand this. Because this is going to kind of lead us to the, to, to the last thing I want to say. God needs you to pass this test for your future. These, these miracles are the material for your next chapter in life. Remember what happens after the feeding of the 5,000? Like literally right after it, Mark records it. And this is why the fishes and the loaves are so important. I want to read it to you. This is Mark 6, 43. They picked up the 12 baskets of the broken fish and also uh, of, of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There are 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Immediately, Jesus made, this comes right on the, right on the heels of 5,000 being fed. Miracle. Jesus does a miracle with five loaves and two fishes. And then it says in verse 45, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And while he himself was sending the crowd away, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And I want you to see what happened to the disciples. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately spoke and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then it says in verse 51, then he got into the boat with them, the wind stopped and they were astonished. And folks, what comes next is amazing. Here it is. This is the material for your future. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, talking about what just happened, but their heart was hardened. Jesus asks them how many baskets were left over. What was Jesus saying? This is point number three. Each miracle that occurs in your life gets you through the next battle. See, you have to go backwards, what Jesus was saying, to say loaves and fishes is what helps me face stormy seas. Let me say that again. Jesus was going, every miracle makes you go backwards. Loaves and fishes, that's what they didn't do, helps me face rough waters that are ahead. I think A.W. Tozer, the great Christian writer, said it like this. 
He says, unbelief says some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. Some other people, but not us. But faith says anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. Anything he did at any other time, he's willing to do now. And anything he has ever did for other people, he's willing, hallelujah, to do for us. So you have to remember the fish miracle because the storm is coming. For all of us, for us individually, for the church, I believe, even for our country. And God goes, you got to remember what I've done for you. Because what I've done for you literally is the material that gets you through. And if you remember the storm, so remember this, you needed fish and loaves to get you through the storm. But And, and what's so amazing about this chapter is he's going to show you that if you remember him calming the storm, it's going to help them in the next battle. What was their next battle? It was the welcoming committee on the other side of the lake where they just faced the storm. You ready for this? They're about to meet a guy with a legion of demons. Jesus was saying, you've got to take that story when you get on the other side because you're going to face a guy coming out of the grave, out of the, out of the cemetery, that you're going to need to remember, I calm storms. So when you face your next storm, you got a God that does fishes and loaves and makes 5,000 lunches from one lunch. When you face your next demoniac, whether you call him your husband or your son, you got a God that controls winds and waves and walks on water. And when you face your next battle, hallelujah, you have to remember this. You got a God that controls winds and waves, walks on water, and can make 5,000 lunches by just saying thanks, hallelujah. You recount your last miracle because you need it for the next battles. Let me say that again. Remember your last miracle. You're going to need it for your next ba battle. Take your fish and loaves story. Take your fish and loaves into your next storm. Then take the storm and rebuke the demoniac in the cemetery. Let me just say it again. Miracles occur when humanity runs out of options. And there is a miracle humanity needs today. Here's a miracle our planet needs today. And it's the miracle of salvation, eternal life. There is no more options. This TikTok video immediately went viral with 4 million views. Some of you are going like, how do you know TikTok? Because I have three teenage daughters. It's crazy. I was reading the story of a new baby monitor that parents now use in their nursery. Ours, when I had our three, when we had our three kids, Cindy and I, we used a thing called Fisher-Price. It was a little baby monitor. Now they put in there Amazon's Alexa so they can listen to lullabies. And what went viral was a little baby that, had, that the mom had no idea knew how to use Alexa on the baby, on the baby video, on the baby monitor. She overheard a conversation that her son was having with Alexa. And the conversation went like this. Alexa, I need daddy. Now, Alexa didn't know what that meant. And she just said, what should I add? She kind of took daddy as add. What should I add? The toddler, toddler replies, daddy. And Alexa hilariously replies, I've now added daddy to your shopping list, whatever that means. And then Alexa said, do you need anything else? And the adorable reply was, uh, no. <laughs> Mom posted this to 4, 4 million views 
And all, all it is, it's, it's cute as a little baby is calling upon daddy. But I want to let you know, when you call on your father, you, you, you get God, not a miscommunication with some robotic voice. You were added to a list by calling on God called the, 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 the book of life that saves you for eternity. All you have to do is call. This is what Romans 10, 13 says. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord won't get Alexa, won't get added to a shopping list, won't, won't just get the, the wrong reply, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I have to tell you, those that are listening today, we all have a gap. There was a 4,999 shortfall, a gap between one lunch and 5,000 hungry bellies. But man, there's a larger gap today between what I have and what I need. And what I need is heaven. What I need is forgiveness. What I need is eternity. But Jesus has, just as he did for those 4,999 people, Jesus has what you need to be forgiven and to live an incredible brand new life that goes all the way, the journey all the way to heaven. Regardless of the rough terrain, regardless of the hard things, God says, I can fill that gap for you. How does God fill that gap? It's, it's by him coming and changing our life. In fact, Jesus uses these words. He says, what's the change called? He calls it being born again. Now, if I was to ask you today, have you been forgiven or are you going to heaven? Some would say, yes, I've been water baptized or I've had communion. I go to church or I'm a good person. All of those things are good, but that's not what Jesus said. I want you to understand Jesus uses the words born again. It's not our word. We didn't make it up at Times Square Church. But Jesus says in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. In fact, Jesus says in verse 5, you must be born again, telling us you can't make optional what Jesus says is an absolute necessity. He was saying to us, and he's saying to you, he said, he's saying to all humanity that has the gap. Every one of us are born with a gap between us and God. And the only thing that can fill that is God, what God has done for us. And what he was saying to us, here's how the gap gets filled. Just as you had a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth. The first birth, you were born physically. This one, you have to be born spiritually or be born again. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? We'll tell you this every week. It's as simple as ABC. And each one of those letters correspond to such an important word. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner. So when I get honest with God, that all of us, starting with me, have a condition called sin. Can't be fixed with a promise, a program, a pastor, a priest. That we, we, we need help to fix us. I'm broken on the inside. The diagnosis is sin. And I have to admit today, I start by admitting I'm a sinner. Or as one, one person said, I'm not, I'm not a mistaker in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. That's where the B word comes in. It's believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have to send his son 2,000 years ago from heaven to earth to go through the horrific suffering that he did if, if we could fix ourselves to get to heaven, to make God like us? 
If I could get to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to die on the cross for me. But Jesus' death for me was Jesus being my sin bearer, paying my debt. He died the death I should have died. He lived a life I couldn't even live and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't even deserve. That leads me to the third word, it's confess. It's confessing Jesus as Lord. Now this is a big word to confess him as Lord. Do you you actually think that God sent Jesus to die on a cross, resurrect, to get us just to sit in front of a screen um, for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday or to sit in a church for an hour and a half or two hours, however long church services? His goal wasn't to get you to church. His goal wasn't to get one day from you. God's goal was to get you to eternity. Coming to church on a Sunday, that's religion. Being born again is a relationship. Religion wants one day a week. God's a relationship with God is every day of the week. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. And when you call him Lord, that person has to be Lord. That means he's the boss. It means that you're in charge now. You have veto rights of anything that's going on in my life. And just as we had that first birth, today can be your second birth. This can happen today. Today can be your second birth date. And wherever you're at right now watching, if you're, if you're sitting in front of a, a, a phone, a, a, a computer monitor, even if you've kind of put it on your TV in your home, wherever you're at, you could be in a gym watching from an elliptical or a, or a treadmill. Maybe, you, maybe you're traveling and someone sent you a link. This could be your second birth date. This is where it all starts. This says that the only way I can make it through the rough terrain of life is knowing that God is with me. God goes with me. He fills that gap. I have a God that fills the gaps. If you're listening today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey. It's not an arrival. It begins the journey. And that journey goes all the way to heaven. Pastor Tim, I want that. If that's you today, I want you to pray a prayer with me. If you're able to, I want you to pray it out loud right where you're at. Maybe you pray it as a family. Maybe you grab hands together as a family. But I want you to pray this prayer with me today. Would you say these words with me out loud? Come on, say them with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.